joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We are the show that tackles some tough topics. We deal a lot with topics about domestic violence and the situation uh, that occurs when a woman is leaving a violent situation. And, yes, we're talking about a lot of women. Um, I always have to acknowledge that, yes, I understand that domestic violence happens to men. Uh, My father was a victim of domestic violence. But statistically, it's overwhelmingly women uh, with male perpetrators. So we're going to talk about, when we're talking about victims of domestic violence, we talk about she on this show. So uh, you can go ahead and email me. It's fine. I'm I'm used to it. (laughs) I have a guest with me today who I think shares my view on that. We had a little bit of a conversation. Um, Trey Gregory, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay. Um, And I actually have never met Trey, but I met a friend of his. I was doing a presentation at Hotel Roanoke in Virginia a while back and met their chief of security, and he said we started chit-chatting, and he found out that I I, uh, do things sometimes with domestic violence issues, and he said, you need to talk to my friend Trey Gregory. And Trey, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Why? Did your friend think that I needed to talk to you when we're talking domestic violence? Well, I would guess the first reason why is because we have developed a group here in the Roanoke Valley in Virginia that is a little different, a little more hands-on approach in providing assistance to those that are suffering domestic and intimate partner violence. Um, He is well aware of it. I'm very vocal about it. Um, We are out and about and actually because of the uniqueness of it, uh, we're starting to receive quite a bit of attention from it. What we do is more of a hands-on approach as far as providing services that law enforcement and other agencies, either due to legislation or policy or restrictions, just are prevented from providing. And we fill in those gray areas. Let me emphasize that we are not vigilantes and we are not out here looking to be bodyguards or anything along that lines. What we're trying to do is make sure that women that are going through this, which is such a difficult time and many are so alone, that they understand that they are not alone. And that's our key slogan is she is not alone. Well, and that, I, you know, I mean, anybody who knows about going through domestic violence situations, I mean, there are so many times when these women do feel that they're absolutely hanging out there to dry all by themselves, and then if they get involved in the court system, um, and, you know, this is not a, a black mark against the organizations that have been designed to help. They do. I mean, the, the women's shelters, et cetera, they help a great deal, but there's a limit to how much they can do. And exactly. when we're... When we're looking at situations, it's almost limitless. Um, Why? Now, you have an interesting background, don't you? Uh, I believe you were a police officer. I was. I was a civilian and a military police officer. That was many years ago. And I actually left that and became a process server, serving legal documents for everything from divorces and lawsuits to warden debts and whatever came down the pike. I went out and served the people that were either at undisclosed addresses, hard to find, or actually just avoiding process service altogether so that the lawsuit wouldn't take effect. And that led us – I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and that, I would imagine, you you saw both as a police officer and as a process server, you saw a fair share of domestic violence situations, did you not? I did. I did. We ran into it, in fact. 
it was amazing to me how many of the divorce decrees there were instances of domestic violence involved and even even to the minimum effect which is not quite minimum but when people think of domestic violence you know you th- particularly us guys we think of the physical part of it we don't think about the emotional and the intimidation and the isolation part and that was forefront in a vast majority of the cases that I was dealing with that's interesting, and you point out something really, really uh, obvious for a lot of people, which is we think, I think as a culture, we tend to think of domestic violence as broken bones and black eyes. That's domestic violence. And anything short of that, I think people, unless they've experienced it or know somebody who's experienced it, they tend to be a little leery. Um, I, I remember doing a radio show once with an interviewer talking about financial abuse, and the, the interviewer just wasn't getting it. He kept saying, well, but all couples argue about money. All couples argue about money. And no matter how I tried to explain it, then then there was another person there with me who worked in the domestic violence field. He just wasn't getting it because I think he'd never experienced anything like that. So the idea of financial abuse, he just, he just didn't get it. And I think that a lot of the intimidation and um, coercion that you're talking about if you haven't experienced it, it's very hard to explain, and you tend to just not even think of that as abuse. That's just people disagreeing. But it's true abuse, isn't it? And you uh, can you have seen how threatening and devastating it can be. Do you have any experiences that you can talk about where you it was kind of obvious to you that there was some kind of coercion or something going on? And oh, absolutely! I can tell you, as a matter of fact, of a brand new one today that came in on a phone call that we are already providing assistance, but it's it's unfortunately the standard story that comes along. The woman has stayed. She has endured the abuse, both physical and mental. And the problem is she has three children, and he has controlled the finances, as you were talking about. And it's not just arguing over money. He controls it. He doesn't even, you know, he accounts for the change from the groceries when he allows her to go grocery shopping. And it's not just about why doesn't she leave. She leaves, but she has three children now to feed. And they always punish him by withholding. This particular gentleman went straight out, emptied out the bank account, and they even had the uh, EBT, the food stamp card, and he went to the store and wiped it out so that she could not use the card to feed the children to force her into a situation of coming back. Hearing your child cry will make a woman and a mother endure many things. And it's just another form of the control and the punishment. And it's actually at the forefront of what they do. Yeah. I think what I remember several years ago being told that a woman stays for her children and a woman leaves for her children. In other words, exactly. she might want to just take off, but she's got to think about these kids what's best for the kids. And so other people who are observing from the outside will often ask, as you pointed out, why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't she leave? Um, There are some pretty good reasons for that. The the first among which is usually if women are killed in domestic violence situations, they're killed when they try to leave. So that's the primary reason. But the secondary reason is what you, you, they stop and think what's best for the kids. Is it better for the kids? You know, I could protect the kids if I'm here. I can't protect them if I'm not here. You know, that kind of thing. Exactly. But, but then it reaches a point where they decide, no, it's better for the kids, no matter how bad it is, if I leave, it's better for the kids. You know, this is, this is not. 
women and, tend to stay. And that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. That, that's yeah. absolutely true. And I've noticed that these men, they use various tools, as we've already discussed, but one of the tools they use is the children. They will threaten. Mm-hmm. They will say, you know, if you leave, I'm going to harm the children. I will take the children and flee. You'll never see them. They've used mm-hmm. the children as a tool. Once a woman yeah. does find the courage to leave, they often come back and suddenly want full custody which they really don't, but that's just a tool to use to get her back in compliance and get them under control, which is so important to the men that are yeah. abusing. The control yeah, if factor... if you can't control the woman anymore, how, I mean, what's the best way to control somebody who's not in your control? Control their kids, you know. Exactly. And, and you know, and I'm going to touch on something here, I'm, uh, and forgive me if I'm branching off quickly, but one of the aspects that goes along with that is we are so quick to say that these abusers and so many women and so many therapists and counselors do it too. They will say, well, he's such a narcissist. Well, yes, there's a, there's a degree of narcissism in there. However, it's often overlooked that there are some disturbed characters involved in this. And there is a difference between a narcissist and a disturbed character. The one of the things that has happened is, it's not really politically correct to say there's a flaw or a deficiency in this person's character. We want to look more at what caused that. Sometimes it's just a defect. Sometimes it's just a default in their system, and they're just mean, controlling people. It has nothing to do with something they may have endured. Sure, I understand that abuse can you know, get abuse further down the line and people learn behaviors, but some people just have it in them. When you say that uh, a lot of the mothers will stay because of the kids and leave because of the kids, there's another aspect, a family member that is involved. Uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, I'm glad to see, has added where you can add your pets to the yeah. protective order because the men will flat out tell you, I will kill your dog. I will kill your cat if you leave. Oh, they absolutely and they will, will use those animals. Oh, absolutely. So you can actually list them right on the protective order in Virginia now, which I think is a great yeah. thing. We have a we have a local animal shelter that offers free boarding to any woman that is in a domestic situation and trying to flee because often you can't take your animals to a shelter. You go to try to get yeah. an apartment somewhere to start a new life, and they say, "Well, no animals allowed," but we don't want to we don't want to cut them off at the knees while they're trying to leave. So these people yeah. have stepped up and said, you bring us your animal, we'll board them for you, we'll take care of them until you can get situated. Well, you know, that's so interesting. About 10 years ago I wrote a book, um, and one of the women that I interviewed for the book, um, she actually died because of domestic violence. Um, she had farm animals, and she mm-hmm. just was not, She, you know, he had told her that if she leaves, all of her horses and, you know, all of her other farm animals were done. You know, he was going to, to kill them. And so she didn't leave. Um, she was afraid about that. Um, but unfortunately, he killed her too. So, you know, and, and, right. uh, you know, and, and ultimately you have to stop and think, you know, which is, which is more important, my life or my kids' lives or my animals' life. But it's, it's crushing, you know, when they will use that. And there are several states now that have included uh, domestic violence uh, uh, statutes about animals. Uh, in their domestic violence statutes and protective order statutes, so that's encouraging. That's good to know. I, I had, it really I, is. I guess it was 
two years ago, I had two state senators from Alaska on the show who talked about, you know, their proposal. It was interesting because they were, you know, both parties, uh, and yet they got together on this issue. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy to see that that is happening in Virginia as well. Um, so, okay, so before we get into exactly what your organization does, um, how did it get started? How did you decide to start an organization to help well, victims of domestic during our during my term as the serving process, I uh, primarily worked for local defense attorneys. I had a large number that used me exclusively to get their services done. During that time frame, I uh, started doing other jobs for them. You know, maybe locating a witness, uh, perhaps delivering, you know, a file or a piece of evidence to another attorney or. or finding some evidence for them, that type of things. We laughingly called it process and problems. One of the attorneys six years ago had a divorce client who had been in a horribly abusive situation. She finally took a stand. She did it all on her own. She went through the divorce process, and she was awarded the residence. She was awarded the primary objects, the cars and the most of the furniture inside the house based on the circumstances. He was awarded property, and his property was moved to a storage facility behind his home. But he was the type of individual that was not going to be controlled, and he was so used to his intimidation working for him that he told her right after the hearing, despite that court order that gave him a specific time, date, and the items that he could retrieve that he didn't care. He was coming to take everything that he wanted. He was going to take the ring off her finger. He was going to take her car. He was going to come in the house and take the TV and just, you know, everything he wanted to do. So the attorney contacted me and asked what we could do, and I said, I really don't have a clue. And I asked him to provide me a copy of the order. He did that, and I called a friend of mine who I had known since I was about 14 years old, and he is the founder of Dad, his name is Kenny Overstreet, and Kenny and myself went to the lady's house on the Saturday that he, the man was to come. And this is one of the things where policy and restrictions do not allow police officers to assist. There was not a crime going on. There was only speculation of an issue. They couldn't sit and wait and take their manpower away to see if something did happen. So we went, and the gentleman did show up. He showed up with about four or five other vehicles and a whole handful of men to get the property that he said he was coming to get. It was much more than he needed to get his property out of the storage building behind the house. I simply approached him. I introduced myself. I gave him the copy of the order that I had, and I said that we were there to ensure that he only took the items that he was court-ordered to and allowed to have. It confused him so badly because a high percentage of these men, not only are they do they have the bully mentality and the intimidation mentality, but they like to do it undercover. They don't like other eyes on them. We were not threatening in any way as far as violence or you better not do this. Simply said, we were here to make sure you only take these items. The man took his entire crew and left. He took nothing with him. That was not our intent, but that was the way he responded. 
and the woman was so relieved, and it really affected us. It it it, it touched us deep inside. We're we're guys, but we you know we understood that she the relief and the tears really hit home with us, and we discussed it for a couple of days, and decided this must be a normal type of situation. My wife and my daughter piped in and shared some the female perspective with us because we were men, I confess, we were just as guilty as everyone. Domestic violence was when somebody hit somebody and they had an issue. We didn't know about all the rest of it. And so we just kind of put feelers out there and it just snowballed. Other attorneys started calling and when we went public with it, that we were available for the court escorts and the things that we do, it just snowballed and the phone the phone has continued to ring for the past six years. Wow. Now, you um, are are you guys like big and physically intimidating, or do you, um, you know, I mean, because I, I raised a son, I know how sometimes this works with the, with the guys, you know. Um, right. The, the little, littler guys see bigger guys, and they tend to pay better, better attention. Well, my friend Kenny, the co-founder, he is, he is a good sized fella. I'm I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not, I'm not even. I'm five foot nine, and I weigh about two twenty. But I'm really ugly, and I think that helps. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, when we started, it was just the two of us, and we saw quickly that we couldn't handle the load. And my daughter, Casey, brought in a friend or two of hers at the time, and they were. 18 years old, but they were local high school football players, and they were good size. They have gone on to play college ball. In fact, I have one. I'm fretting that I might lose to the NFL at this point in time. He just just finished up his final college season. They wow. are great big guys. They are hand-selected simply not because they are so big. They are good guys. They have a good head on their shoulder. They will follow directions. They understand that our goal is to get the woman out of this situation with no conflict or as little as possible for her to have to endure. We, she's been through enough. We're not out there posturing. We don't make threatening gestures. We are just with them. And to date, there's only been a couple of instances where you know the guy feels the need to lash out. We have a protocol in place and you know our response in place. This is how we will handle this. We have no problem calling the police ourselves and getting them involved. Um, you know, they're not going to intimidate us as far as keeping us from doing that. We do we do protect the woman as far as she can walk away with us. One of our rules with these ladies, and we don't have a lot, one of our rules with these ladies is if you're using our services, if he lashes out, if family members lash out, which are all, which is often the case, you're not allowed to participate. We're not going to have a free-for-all out in the middle of the street. You can walk away with us. No one will prevent us from walking away. We have that right. But we do not encourage them. And it's hard for them because a lot of them, it's the first time they felt safe enough, you know, and the just justification is there to want to yell something back, you know, to call him a jerk, you know, something along that line. But we... We discourage them from doing that because we don't want to escalate. It often it'll often try to escalate on its own. It does not need our participation. So tell me, and, and I, we uh, forgive me, but we actually haven't mentioned the name of your organization. It's Dad Helps, right? 
it was the name of the organization is actually Domestic Abuse Disruption. It's incorporated, ah. and we go we go by Dad from the letters. Um, we figure every single woman out there is someone's daughter, so Dad is appropriate. Yeah. And the reason we use the word disruption is because we are completely aware that we are a small group and we are not going to stop this based on just what we're doing. But we're hoping to disrupt it and perhaps even be the catalyst for a grassroots-type movement where other cities and other towns, some guys will get together and say, you know what, we should do this. And that's that's our hope. Yeah, yeah. And um, our, our website Dad, is dadhelps.org. Yeah, okay. So dadhelps.org is your website. The name of the organization is uh, Domestic Abuse Disruption Helps. That's right? correct. Okay. Um, I want to talk more, <clears throat> excuse me, about some of the situations that you've encountered. You, you described that six years ago it was just kind of an, I don't know, just a kind of an unplanned thing that came up, and you helped out this attorney, um, and you kind of learned something about what domestic violence victims go through as far as the intimidation and the fear and the isolation. Um, it's six years later. How have, has your education, if you will, changed in the last six years? <laughs> tremendously, tremendously. We started, as I said, talking with my wife and my daughter. We started taking input from other ladies. I started reading. I actually took a few courses. Uh, I actually took the lethality and danger assessment through Johns Hopkins just to get a better idea and try my best. It's impossible, but to put myself in the woman's shoes. And when I learned not only of the isolation and the control, I learned of you know, the intimidation, the threatening of friends, of family, the financial control, the emotional control, the child control, just everything that goes through it. The fear of leaving because how will I now provide? And one of the key things I think the guys have learned, myself included, you have to understand that a lot of these cases, these women are being hurt by someone they love and they thought loved them back. And see, we guys, we tend to overlook that emotional attachment. And, you know, it's heartbreaking for them. It's hard for them to figure out. It's also embarrassing for them to tell the world and to stand up and say, this person I thought loved me and that I love hurts me. This person does not care about me. And it, and it's hard for them. It's hard for some of these women when I tell them point blank, love is not supposed to hurt. You're not supposed to be fearful in your love. That is not love. And you can see that it it, it, it weighs on them. It causes depression. It causes some anxiety issues. And that compounds everything else that is going on. They get lulled often into the cycle of abuse. He abuses them, and that's horrible. But then he's Prince Charming, and he's so sorry, and he's apologetic to a point. It's always with justification. But then he's bringing flowers and promising never to do it again, and the family unit is once again in their minds intact until he erupts again. 
And that's something that's something we never knew about. That is something that we never had an idea about. I never understood how hard it was when we would tell them, hey, take him to court, get a protective order, which I'm a huge proponent of. But get a protective order, take him to court. I never understood how long a walk that was into the courthouse. You know, there's sheriff's deputies and there's bailiffs inside, but there's no one outside. And that's often where they will wait. You better not testify. You better drop this. You better do this. And they have family members out there calling them names. That's a long walk to to make by yourself. And that's why we started yeah. walking with them. But that I had never fathomed that. And I and that's one of those things where men and women do view situations somewhat different. And it, and that's yeah. just a fact. Well, and I think so. What your some of the scenarios that you've described as going to a woman's home to help her when uh, to be there to be supportive of her in case you know the the abuser has to come back for some reason. Um, in some areas, police do make themselves available for that, but they it's on a schedule, and so if he he can come back without you know abiding by the schedule, and she's still all by herself, you know. Um, exactly. And some exactly. districts they just can't. You know, the police just can't do that. Um, but you're also talking about going to court. What are some of the scenarios where you make your presence available to victims of domestic violence? We we make our presence, anyone that contacts us and that we take into our services, we make our presence available for each and every one of them. Um, last year we had over 180. The year before that we were over 275 court escorts for the year and that's just in this little small place of Roanoke and we take them not only to and from court walk them in sit with them and I always I always put it to people when to to let them understand just how impactful it is most everyone can relate to meeting friends at a restaurant or at a function somewhere and they say yeah we'll meet there at six well if you're the very first friend to arrive you feel a little awkward standing there by yourself. Now compound that and imagine everyone in that restaurant had abused you. And you had to sit there alone with them. And you think how just relieved you are when your first friend shows up at the restaurant, and now you have somebody. You're not all alone. Well, that's what we're providing to these ladies. They have to often sit outside the courtroom waiting on their case to be called with him sitting there glaring at her, even speaking and saying things to her. That's a, that's a hard thing, and it's, it's enough to make people back out of it. When you get there and you sit through that and you go into the court hearing and something has come up or a lawyer makes a motion and you've waited for four weeks and built this up in your head, this is the day, this is the day, and then they continue it two months down the road, which is part of their plan. That's part of their game, to wear you down, to make you lose your resolve and give up. That's a hard thing to do, but if you have someone with you, it's easier to confront. It's easier to deal with. We also talk with them about testifying and try to take some of the mystique out of the court. It is not you know, something magical. It's a conversation between a person and the judge. All the other people in there are just players. They may ask some questions. They may talk. They may make statements. But the bottom line is it is a conversation between the woman 
or whoever's testifying and the judge. The judge will decide credibility and lend the weight to it. And we try to show them this is what you can expect. Some of this activity you will see has nothing to do with you. You know, you just need to make yourself clear. You need to answer the judge. You need to listen to the questions. Always be truthful. Don't add things to your conversation just to answer the question. And that makes them more comfortable, particularly when they see it evolve after we've already discussed it. When they see it happen before their eyes, they're better. Because most of these cases, there's going to be more than one hearing, whether it's a you know intimate partner that you weren't married to or one that you're getting divorced from. There's going to be more hearings. That's our experience. We've, we have I have a young lady right now that we have been to court with for the past three years because it keeps coming up. He keeps violating the protective order, and, you know, she has to go. He'll file for custody, even though, you know, it's it's a mute point. He didn't get it, but he'll file again just to make her jump through hoops just to see her. So it's one of those things that you take that mystique out of, and we take them back and forth to court to do that. And, and it means a lot to not be alone. So how many people are involved in dads? We have a core group, and when I say a core, that I can pretty much call on that have been there since the beginning. Right now, of that has expanded from five to nine. But the great thing about what's going on, you hear a lot of bad in the world, and there are some evil people out there, but there are some good people out there too. And I can use social media. I can put out a call, hey, we've got a removal this weekend. It's more than we can handle. It's more than we normally do. Um, I need to do it quick. You know, one of those type things. And volunteers will sign up. They they will join up. I make it that volunteers have to be 18 years or older simply because of the circumstances. You know, domestic domestic situations are the most dangerous in the world. It's the, it's the most dangerous thing a police officer can face because the emotions and the volatility is there. But we can go. We've had 20-some-plus people help us get a lady out of a house, and that's amazing. Today, the lady that we – one of our brand-new ones today, she needed help. She had every, she's got a roof over her head, a place to go. She got her children, and she got out, but she needed financial assistance. She needed groceries. She's got to feed those kids. And I've had people this afternoon making donations so we can get Kroger cards and, you know, uh, money cards and and just let her feed her family and take that stress off of her. It's an immediate need. We have immediate needs sometimes when the woman does take the steps. She's been horribly assaulted. The police arrest the man. And all of a sudden, she went from two incomes, or maybe even just the one, his, to none, to no income. And he's sitting in jail, but the rent still due, the electricity still due. And we try to help out, and these these volunteers will help out with that. So it's a collective effort. We're I always laugh and say I'm the Mick Jagger of the bunch. I got the big mouth and I flap my arms a lot. I'm out in front, but the talent <laughs> is behind me. You know, the, the true talent is behind me, and that's what makes this thing work. Well, when you say, um, you know, that, that you um, are the talent or are, are the uh, big mouth, I, I would think that the big mouth would be Q. 
key that you'd absolutely have to have that along with all the others. It, well, it is, and I, I don't mean it to sell my role short, but the thing about it is we take a little different approach, as I've said, and, I, and I'm guessing you probably picked up on. the. There is a need for the advocacy and awareness, absolutely, 110%. But I think we are getting to the awareness part. So now we need to be vocal we need action. We need we need to do something more. And, to, and we're not going to wipe this out. I mean, this has been going on since time began. And, you know, they talk about the oldest profession a lot in the world. Well, this was going on before the oldest profession ever got started. And we're not going to stop it, but we need to do a more hands-on approach. I'm all for the awareness and yes, I'm a loud mouth trying to bring attention to the way we are doing it, which is important. And we're taking the approach that posters and clapping hands and that type of thing, while needed, does not stop it. It does not prevent abuse. Getting the woman out, removing her, taking her to a shelter, taking her to family, or if she has the means, depending on her circumstances, Take her to a new apartment or her new place. You know, that's the that's the thing about domestic violence. There is no socio or economic background. You don't get to pigeonhole it. You you might think it's this person, well look at her, she got herself into this. Anyone can get it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen on the first date or the blind date. It's it's cultivated. And these guys know what they're doing. They're manipulators. Mm-hmm. And it's cultivated. I always see it and it's like People seem to think that, that a woman goes out on a date with a guy and he beats the heck out of her and she goes, yippee, skippy, let me marry him, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I can't live without you. Yeah, I mean, and that's yeah. just not the way it works. <laughs> it's subtle. It's it's like any manipulator, and it, it is subtle. And they use all sorts of, you know, tactics to get you to, to abide. But people need to understand once you're in that boat, once you're committed, I mean, these people, they have homes together. They have cars together. They've got all their finances tied up. I know people that are upset right now over someone borrowed $10 from them in the fifth grade, and they, and they haven't got <laughs> it back yet. Well, imagine giving your house up and giving yeah. it up and leaving it because this guy was beating you up. That makes it even worse than that $10 you lost to you know, Petey back in the day. Well, and that's and what people don't understand. Think, yeah, and I think it's also the... You're you're giving up a life. I mean, people don't move in together. They don't marry together. They they don't they don't do that thinking that this is going to be a temporary thing. Um, they right. have a vision. They have uh, you know they work toward a future, a common future. And then when you know at what point do you say, okay, there is no common future, um, especially when the things start out pretty small. You know, um, I, I have an example of one woman said that one, you know, she and her husband, things were getting a little, you know, they, they he was getting a little cranky, but she he had hard work and blah, 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 you know. And one morning she woke up and all of her stuff on her um, dresser table was on the floor. And she went, absolutely. what on earth happened here? He thought it was too cluttered. He just swept everything onto the floor. Well, that's well, odd behavior, and, um, and that's that's no, that's, that's nasty behavior. But she was married; they were building a life. They had a mortgage. She was pregnant. 
do you say, okay, I'm leaving now because you swept things off of the counter? People don't do that. People don't, people, well, you know, he people makes don't do excuse. It. No. And why would you? You've, you've got this history, you've got this, you know, idea that you're creating a future together, and, okay, this aberration happens, and you get the apology or, or not, and you think, well, that's just simple. But then 10 years later, you look back and you think that was the start of something, or five years later, or two years later. Um, it's not a simple thing. It's a process. It's a process, and, it, and it's very insidious. Um, and I don't think a lot of people have an appreciation for that. One of the things that I'm getting from listening to you is that you have developed an appreciation for how this whole thing works. A lot of people do not. So your organization goes and uh, helps the, the victims, but do you work with other organizations that are there to help? You mentioned shelters. Do you uh, do shelters ever call you? Do you uh, do anything with? Okay, can you describe that kind of relationship? Sure. Sure, absolutely. We have a local women's shelter that is one of the only secure shelters in Virginia, and they have called not only for assistance, but we refer people to them because you do get checked in and qualified before you just show up, and they will take your children and yourself in and provide you, and it's and it's a lot of people have a view of what a shelter is. It's actually a very nice facility. Um, there is another organization in our area called TAP, Total Action for Progress, and they provide many services, and part of it is domestic violence services, and they do one of the most tremendous things that we are certainly not qualified to do and don't want to do, quite frankly, and that's counseling services to you know help people deal with what they've been through. You, you don't want us counseling because we're too, we're too matter-of-fact. We get you out of it, and we get you moving forward. And the, we, we work with them. There are some uh, local smaller groups that we are glad to participate with. Uh, there's some in our area, and I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but we have a group called Help Save the Next Girl. And Help Save the Next Girl was founded by Jill Harrington, whose daughter, Morgan Harrington, was abducted at, in Charlottesville, Virginia, several years ago, and she was killed. She went missing, and she was killed by a man that is a serial killer. And he has been convicted, and some other young ladies were connected to him that went missing and, and are now deceased. And Jill is an amazing woman, and she started this Help Save the Next Girl, and it's in so many schools in so many states now, and they are teaching the girls to protect themselves as far as buddy up, be aware of your surroundings, know when to speak out, know what to say, and we have done several events for them. One of the things we have developed at the dad group is called the cheat technique, and it's a defense class for women only. We like to call it a defensinar because we do a whole lot of talking, but it's a different perspective on things, and we do not deal with the political correct issues. We deal with the fact that regardless of what the world society is doing these days, men and women are built differently. We are designed differently. And power moves and the like often will not work. Some of the information given out, and I'll go ahead and touch on it, One of you know, women are taught from a young, young age, well, if that man does this, I'm going to kick him in the groin. Well, guess what? We know that. And men will protect that groin at all costs. 
Um, as you know, you, somebody, you somebody share that, that 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 uh, class with you guys, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and we talk about it. We talk. You know, I I will tell you from a man's point of view. You try to kick me in the groin if I have nothing less, I'll block it with my face. I mean, that's how that's how protective we are. So we teach unexpected things and things that women of all you know, physical capabilities and ages can do. Teach them to be opponents. We teach them how to minimize. We hopefully teach them how to detect and deter it before it ever comes up. But we teach them how if it does come up, whether it's a domestic situation, whether it's just you going to Walmart, we teach them how to minimize it and get away, get away to safety. We're not trying to win tournaments. It's not martial arts. It's not anything like that. And the reason I bring that up we have done many of those classes for the Help Save the Next Girl group, and they're different chapters. And we're getting the girls while they're young. We talk about all the intimate partner and signs of abuse. You know, I want to go back, if I can, real quickly. You were talking about the man sweeping the things off the dresser, and that was her first indication. But often, once you can take a breath and look back, you will see that there were other indicators. You just didn't realize what they were. And we, you know, we talk, we talk to these young girls and try to show them that while it doesn't necessarily individually mean that a man is abusive, collectively, collectively, there are signs of a abusive relationship from the get-go. You can have things like an accelerated pace. You know, you go out on a blind date in January and. 30 minutes into the date, the man's talking about taking you somewhere in July. That's kind of an accelerated pace. You can look for people that resolve their conflicts with bullying or violence. They're not only verbally abusive, but they use threats or intimidation just to get their way. You can look for people that not necessarily physically harm you, but they threaten to or they threaten to disclose your secrets, to embarrass you, to make up things. They try to restrict your freedom and your social interaction, and a lot of that is you might have that friend. They say, I don't like you around that friend. He's trying to break, she's trying to break us up, or she's that, or she's loose. You know, she checks her own crowd. Part of it is because that friend usually is the strong-willed one that has no problem telling him he's a jerk and that he's being wrong. So they try to get you away. That's where the isolation part starts to come in. You will see them break or hit things in anger, not you. But you'll see that symbolism. Symbolic violence is huge. People overlook that so much. They might tear up, you know, you might have got them a little stuffed dog with a heart for Valentine's Day, and they get mad at you in March, and they rip the head off that dog. Or they take that picture of the two of you on vacation, and they tear it in half. That's symbolic violence. And the reason people need to pay attention is because it cannot escalate. I'm sorry? And that's very good. I do want to throw in just a little caution, and that is that abusers are not all one personality type. So while many right. abusers do have the characteristics that you're describing, and certainly enough that we want to educate people about that, there are abusers who do not exhibit those kinds of behaviors. Oh, absolutely. And they, they can be pretty insidious. So just because you're aware of common types of abuse doesn't mean that you're going that that everyone every abuser will exhibit those. So I just wanted to throw sure, that in. Sure. To no, I'm glad you did. Um, and we, we we touch on that as well. One of the things we teach these young ladies is it's okay to be rude and it's okay to be wrong when it comes to your personal safety. Because women don't hear that a lot. 
you know, women, women were the ones that for years, you know, you had to be polite young women so that you could grow up, marry a man, take care of you, because what else were you going to do? You know, that was that was the society's mentality. What were you going to do, be a school teacher? You know, they used to actually say that. And women are taught from young, you'd be sweet. And they used to say, give Mr. Johnson from church a hug and a kiss goodbye. And you'd be crying, I don't want to do it. But they say, oh, go ahead, because you don't want to be rude. Well, it is yeah. okay to be rude. And we tell them yep. that don't let men, and even in a relationship, don't let men discount your no or negotiate your no. When you say no... And I don't care what it is. If you say no and he ignores it, that's a control issue. Now, that doesn't make every one of those men sinister. You know, that, that's that's how a lot of people's parents met. You know, hey, lady, can I buy you a drink? Oh, please, let me buy you one. I'd like to get, you know. So they discount your no. That doesn't make them necessarily sinister. But it is a learned behavior, particularly the generations now. You go back and look at the movies that we were indoctrinated with, and I'm not blaming movies. People have to be able to decipher right from wrong. But you look at the the projected image of all the way back to uh, what was Dustin Hoffman's movie, uh, Mrs. Robinson, or whatever it was. The Graduate. The Graduate. Yeah, you yeah. Know, he was told no, and he ignored her and pursued her anyway. He stalked her. There's many movies yeah. like that. Ten. Dudley Moore. He t- the song. And he was rewarded. He, he was rewarded. He got the girl. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Man, that the, the gist of it is boy wants girl, girl doesn't want boy, boy doesn't care and goes after her, wears her down, girl gives up and gives in. That That's yeah. what, that, even our songs did that. You know, Blondie's uh, had had a couple songs, and who was it? Sting, um, I'll Be yeah. Watching You. Boy, that's kind of Oh, yeah, that's the classic just listen to the words. <laughs> and, and men just singing out loud driving down the road. I'm not blaming that, but I'm saying that that has been the mindset. So when I say it's okay to be rude and wrong, it really is. You might read it wrong. It might He might just want it to have met you. But guess what? You're in control. Keep the control. You don't have yeah. to negotiate. That's not what relationships are supposed to be. You know, I, 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 have, I have one case. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Tell me about your case. Oh, I was just going to say I have one case where one of the men – has a time frame or had a time frame on the woman. She lived about 12 minutes from her work, and she had to take a photograph of her time card when she punched out and show it to him, and she better not be showing it to him at home 15 minutes later. You know, there was no allowance for flat tower tires or a red light or, you know, a traffic jam or anything along that line. She better be there in twelve minutes, or there was there was something to pay for that. And that's well, and the to type go of back to what you were saying at the beginning, uh, at the beginning of our conversation, Trey, you know, just because you know that guy might not have ever hit that woman, but the level of intimidation, the level of control, was huge, uncomfortable, and, and unreasonable. Absolutely. Um, so you don't have to have the physical violence there to have the behavior that produces the fear. And the intimidation, um, you know, and, I, and I, I think that a lot of times we forget about that. I, I'm looking at the clock tray and I'm going, wow, I don't know where our time has gone. But <laughs> if, if somebody wanted to learn more about your organization, you gave the, um, uh, the uh, website as dadhelps.org. 
But what if somebody wants to start something like this? Are you able to help them, or do you have people around the country who can help with things like this? Well, I'll tell you, well, we have been able, we've been very fortunate, and we have helped people uh, in Washington State. We have helped people in Arizona. We we have even been able to provide or find assistance to a young woman in Ireland. How she got a hold of us I'll, or found out about us, I never know. But So did you guys go to we, Ireland to help her? Or she was no, there? no, no, no. We started reaching out. We have reached out, and I usually will start with churches simply because they usually have a youth group. And I will explain the situation. One of the key elements in all of the women that we help, they must attempt and obtain a protective order. And I won't get into the whole it's just a piece of paper thing because it's not. It is a tool that is very valuable. It can help the woman in the long run. It starts the process. It takes it from a civil matter to a criminal matter. But it also allows groups like mine. If we're standing there removing property from a home and the man shows up and tells me, get off my property, we're not police officers. We have to leave. But if there's a protective order in play that says he's not supposed to have contact and he's not supposed to be there, we're not going anywhere. And I'm gonna laugh while I'm dialing the police. You know, so that gives us that gives us leverage. You know, that that allows us to do what we do. So even in out of state circumstances like we're talking about, the woman will get a protective order, I'll reach out and usually people like Yes, I'll talk to a youth pastor and say, do you have some young men? You know, she's not taking much. And let me emphasize something about that. The reason we can put that together, we're not a moving company. We don't we don't get into the whole house moves. I could care less about your sectional sofa. I care about your safety. We get necessary <laughs> items. We get your clothing. We get medical items. We get. Then we understand if you're leaving with your children, you get the beds. We understand that. But we're we're not getting into big screen TVs and all that. That's just stuff. It can be replaced. Yeah. It's material stuff. Your life can lie. And that but and we're we're actually taking the approach. We're trying to show women to get this process going, to plan, get that protective order. Whether you want to stay in that house or not, list that home as your residence. Make him leave. Then you can move just as easy as you please without him around. If you flee yeah. And put that uh, put your new place on the protective order. Well, now you can't go back because he's there. We have to go through yeah. judges and get a date to go. So there's ways to circumvent that. So what I would back to your question, what I would do would be glad to do with anyone is tell them this is how we do it and offer the advice and this is what has worked for us. One of the key things that has helped us grow. And helped us, and I'll be honest, we've had detractors when it first started. People thought we were going to be kicking in doors and lynching people out here. It was going to be the <laughs> Wild West. That, well, they were bound to determine. And, you know, and I'm not going to say that thought hadn't crossed my mind a time or two, but we don't act on it. And that's key. <laughs> we, we, we actually have many messages weekly of men that say, hey, I want to join your organization. They'll see something about it because they, they have a vision of what this actually is. And they will inevitably say something along the lines of, well, I do this and I can shoot, I can twirl a baton, I can do whatever. This is my skill set. <laughs> and when you say skill set to me, we're done. 
because I don't want people with skill sets. Kenny, the co-founder, has put it best. He has a mindset, and his mindset is, I'm going to do something about this. It's not a skill set. So it's not about posturing and being big and bad. It's about providing comfort and, once again, making sure that that woman understands that she is not alone. They understand. I always tell everyone, put on your seatbelt because you're in for a ride. This is going to take some time. There's not a magic wand. And the ones that stick to it are safe. They're happier. They're safe. I wish I could drop names. I won't. I've got one that went back to school, got her degree. She is just the poster child for what we do. I've got a a 68-year-old woman who was horribly beaten, bitten, strangled, lost her home. She's in a home now. She's happy. She looks great. She's recovered completely, and she's free. That's what we're about. That's what we want to do. So it's not, you know, it's not let's, you know, go at 20 paces and turn and draw. It's let's take care of these women, stand with them, and when I say take care of them, they're perfectly capable. They just need a hand at the time. You know, I I have a hard time calling these women victims because they're truly, they're just warriors. They're just strong as they can be. They just don't realize it sometimes. Well, I've often said that the the image that an uninformed public has of a DV victim is of some simpering, weak person. And yet, I think people who have lived under these circumstances are the strongest people I have ever met. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and with the strength, that's one of the greatest things about what we do, and I see it weekly and daily, when one that we've taken from the get-go I, I had one that came to me three years ago. She was such a wreck. She had a nervous eye twitch. You could barely hear her when she spoke. Now she is just fine. Her kids are fine. To see these women get themselves back, because they lose themselves. They lose who they were, trying to be something that he needs or that will appease him so the abuse doesn't come. They just lose yeah. who they truly are. And I'll watch them get themselves back. And that's the greatest reward you could ever have. You know, it makes you feel good. Right. And it makes you feel like you actually did something for someone. Yeah. Trey, what's the poli- local police reaction to your group? Overall, it's very positive. The courthouses with the deputies have become tremendous. They, they will accommodate us. If I feel it's getting out of hand and I need to take one of the ladies into a witness room, they will find us a a room to get her completely out of his view. We will sometimes contact them and tell them this one's a little little more volatile than some of the normal. Here's what we're going to do. And there's one town here in uh, Virginia, close by called Salem, Virginia. The sheriff's department will actually monitor us on their uh, video monitors to the parking lot and back. And we actually have a signal that I can give them if I'm going to need them to come out. The police departments, I've worked well with some of the domestic violence uh, investigators and the heads of those. Uh, we refer back and forth as to needs because, um, like I say, there's some things, there's certainly things we can't do, but there's things that they can't do because of legislation and policy. So they ask us, and if we can do it, we do it. It's, it's kind of becoming a collective effort. There, like I say, there has been detraction at first, um, but well, I think we've overcome it and shown we're we're in this for the long haul. 
we want to do this the right way. It's not about us. We get some publicity because it is a romantic notion. You know, we're riding in there on the white horses, but that's not the way it is. We're actually, you know, disheveled-looking individuals most of the time, and it's okay. You know, we're just getting it done for them. Well, you know, you remind me of way back when I was a little kid, I remember that uh, reading that Indira Gandhi, who was the, I think, first and probably only, maybe the only direct uh, leader of India, at least when I was a kid, um, I read about how she was apparently in their Congress or whatever, and there was this huge problem with rape. And she said the Congress wanted to put a, a, a curfew on women get them home and off the streets so that they could help eliminate this problem of the rape of women. And her comment was, but it's the men who are doing it. It's the men's problem. Put the curfew on the men. Exactly. And I think of, I think of that so often when we're talking domestic violence, because domestic violence is a men's problem. And there are wonderful organizations, um, and, and I, I'm, I think that yours is one of them, where men are saying, yes, this is a men's problem, and men need to get together to try and solve it, not just a bunch of women um, saying, okay, we need to solve this problem, ladies. Uh, it, it's a man's problem, and it's always so heartening uh, when men step up and say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get together, and we're going to solve this problem. So I thank you for that. It's very encouraging. Well, it's my pleasure. We have, it's my pleasure. We have just a minute left, Trey. I'm going to give your website again, which is dadhelps.org. Um, I hope lots of folks go to that and access it because uh, it, this sounds like a wonderful organization. Anything that I forgot to ask you that you wanted to throw in here before our show ends? I can't think of anything right off the top of my head other than I will tell every woman who may be listening to this and the men as well, but to the women, Go with your instinct. If it doesn't feel right, if you are scared, act on it. Get help. It is not something that you can handle alone most of the time. You don't don't buy into the hoopla that he gives you. There is help out there somewhere, and you can find yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Trey. Thank you for being on the show and telling us about your grassroots effort to make the situation better. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening on Three Women, Three Ways.